Hello, Jorge. Hey, Dwayne, how are you? I'm good. Are you ready to talk about immigration? I am ready. Welcome to Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroots Leadership Academy. I'm Dwayne Lester. Today's top priority is immigration. It was recorded on January 28, 2020. In the conversation that follows, you'll hear us use terms like community and vision. You'll hear us talk about mutually reinforcing principles. Now, before we get to the interview, let's talk about what those things mean. Americans for Prosperity Foundation and the Grassroots Leadership Academy are part of the Stand Together community. A link to the Stand Together community website is included in the show notes. Each episode, we focus heavily on how our vision guides our decisions in the different priority initiatives we decide to impact. The vision is ambitious. We break barriers that stand in the way of people realizing their potential. This moves our society towards one of mutual benefit, where people succeed by helping others improve their lives. The vision is built upon four mutually reinforcing principles, which we'll also discuss in the podcast. The principles are equal rights, mutual benefit, openness, and self-actualization. You can find the vision and the four mutually reinforcing principles, again, in the show notes. Now, let's talk about immigration. Here's who is going to help us understand what we believe good looks like. My name is Jorge Lima, Senior Vice President of Policy at Americans for Prosperity, and I'm here to talk about immigration. This was a, a topic that I think surprised a lot of people when we first started talking about it. This, this was one of those topics I think people were most uncomfortable about. In the first, when, when, when we started going around as GLA and, and talking about the vision, talking about um, breaking barriers... And talking about immigration, regardless of where I went, people wanted talking points. They wanted information. They wanted to know how they should address or how they should talk to their activists about this. And I want to clarify that. I want, I, that's what I want to do in this podcast is give people an idea of what we stand for, uh, why we came to that conclusion, why we take that position through the lens of the framework, or not the frame, boy, that dates me, doesn't it? <laughs> through the lens of the network vision and talk about the principles that led us to our positions and then clarify how, how we're breaking barriers. So let's start with the first, what is it we stand for? Because from what I'm told, we're a bunch of open border, you know, crazy anarchists. And I, I don't think that's accurate. So one, I think it's, it's a great place to start, as you mentioned, of that, that initial concern when we first really publicly started going out there on this issue. And the reason I say it's interesting is because while, yes, we, we immediately saw hesitancy or just, just concern about, well, how exactly am I going to talk about this from folks all across our community, right? I, I don't think it's just one more than the other. I think all of them. But what I found unique in that work was it wasn't because anyone was insecure about their beliefs. Everyone would say, I love immigration. My grandmother is, my grandfather is, my parents came from. What the, what the worry is, and I bring it out because it's, it's insightful and critical to the work that we've been doing, 
The concern was the political aspect of it. How do I navigate the politics of this issue? What talking points do I need so I'm not stepping in it as we get out uh, out there on this issue? And I think that's critical because we've we that's why we're so into this issue. It's where most people don't want to go. It seems too big to ever solve. And it's because the politics of this issue have just dominated the debate. And flipping that and realizing that most people want a solution here. Most people have an immigrant story and can connect fundamentally to this issue should really empower us to go out there and share it, regardless of the headwinds we're going to face because of the entrenched political interests on the issue. What is when you when you think about where we're at, what we're doing and the political part of it, what what is it? that we stand for. Again, we, we constantly hear open borders and we're going to talk about, you know, one of our mutually reinforcing principles is openness. And so we, we almost hear that reinforced. Yeah. So let's go back into just the, the very simple, what is it we're after? So we're after, as everybody listening knows, right? That the whole stand together community is about helping every person rise. And we know that that's more than just a one-to-one basis, which we tend to do very, very well. But we are invested, particularly at AFP, in the long-lasting policy change that make the ripple effects much, much larger of our efforts to impact people that may never know who we are, have interacted with us. But because of the policies and solutions and barriers that we're bringing down, more people are benefiting and being part of America and the American dream. Now, when we say help every person rise, we literally mean every person, right? That, that is what we believe in. And we believe that every person has the ability to contribute. We also know that core to the American experiment is this idea of being open and inclusive, right? You look through history, and I'm sure uh, there's videos now that we've, we can circulate where we really dig into this concept, particularly with uh, one of our community partners, Todd Rose, where he li- lays into the idea of inclusivity throughout all of American history. And that has been what has made this country great, right? That we, from the beginning of the Declaration of Independence, said we the people, right? It started with everyone. And now, obviously, at the gate, we excluded a few folks, but every time we took that leap forward to include more people, whether it was through the civil rights movement, whether it was when women's suffrage brought women under the fold, and then all of the times that we've brought immigrants, that's only propelled America further. That inclusivity is part of America's flourishing core to the American experiment. And so when we talk about immigration, I think oftentimes it gets really confused by us wanting to be or do something for immigrants and failing to really recognize how this is core to what and who we are as a country. And that if we fail to get it right on immigration, we're not just hurting the immigrants who don't come into America. We are hurting ourselves. We are stopping ourselves from fueling that progress and innovation that has been core to the American experiment from the very, very beginning. And so that is, that is what roots our work on immigration. And through that, I didn't say it specifically, but you should have heard the themes of openness, the themes of mutual benefit, the, the, the themes of self-actualization, right? This is what comes with a robust and successful immigration program and just immigration uh, mentality throughout the country. The idea that immigrants are partners, not takers. The idea that my life is made better with the contributions of others, regardless of where they were born. But as long as they have that thirst to want to contribute and improve their lives, that is why we are rooted in this issue and believe that we have got to get it right for the success of the future of our country. 
when you talk about when you talk about every person helping every person rise, there, there are questions I've I've been given that have been posed to me. So you're saying then that all six seven billion people on the you know, on the planet should just be able to come to the United States, every person. So and that our, sounds like an oh, that sounds like an open borders position. So. Yes, and we've heard many people call us that. But the truth is we're not for open borders, right? We know that borders are important. We know that borders exist and allow us in America to have the society that we currently have, right? Because because of those borders, we have the ability to have the rule of law and the constitution and the different things that have, we have come to accept and be part of our identity. They exist because right now in the globe, we have these borders and we can make that happen in America. But I mean, I, I would venture that everyone listening agrees with me. The whole point of the American experiment is to show the world what happens in a free society. What happens when there is society of mutual benefit, when you can bet on the idea that every person can contribute? Not that we're going to go police and impose it across the country, but we set the example and show people why this experiment is worth it. And this is the proof point against the failed solutions of the past like socialism like na uh, nationalism so that that's what when we say we really want to help every person that's the context of the work that we do right it's constantly to be that shining city on a hill so that the entire world can see that example now how we help every person is a very different and strategic question no it does not mean that we're suddenly going to welcome the entire world's population into the country we have to have borders. They should be protected, similar to our position on foreign policy. We have to make sure that we can protect our borders so that at the, the very moment that they are threatened by an outside adversary, we have the ability to protect America. But the restraint and how we use the ability to protect ourselves is one that we have to be very careful with because at the end of the day, if people don't realize that restrictions you're putting on immigrants are actually restrictions upon yourself, then you're missing a really consequential part of the equation. Walk through that for me. How, how is it that restrictions you put on an immigrant are restrictions you put on yourself? Flesh that out for me. Of course. So if you are, I mean, right now, because of the immigration system, the government is telling you who you can and cannot marry, who you can and cannot work with, who you can and cannot employ. I mean, it, it, may, it, it dictates who can and cannot move next to you, right? These are things that because of the immigration system put limits on yourself. And if you don't conceptualize the, the limits on your own freedom that are being imply, implicitly limited through the immigration system, then you're missing the unintended consequences that we love to talk about so much, which are very real in our lives right now. It is limiting the ability of you to benefit from the contributions that an immigrant would otherwise be making in this country, otherwise contributing to this country. And you are now not allowed to do that because we've somehow made the calculation that prohibiting that person from entering is better than not. And that may be the right decision depending on certain circumstances. But let's not fool ourselves and forget that we are not restricting our own limitations and liberties when we do that calculation. It goes directly back to what Bastia talked about, the broken window theory. There's what is seen. And there's what is not seen. And so when we put those barriers up in place, what we see is we see few, fewer immigrants. What we don't see is the value they could have created by being here in this country. We don't see the, the innovations they could have made. We don't see the businesses they could have opened or the jobs they could have created. That's, that's the unseen. And so that's the limit we put. And it's the limit we put on our own prosperity, on our own growth. 
Um, one thing I think you said earlier that I wanted to go back to that I think was important. You constantly, you, you, you repeatedly said immigrants who, who come here and want to create value. And one thing we've talked about is, is the immigration system should be set up so that those who want to come here and create value for society as a whole should have the easiest path to come here and do that. And those who want to come here and do harm, those who want to come here and, and, and hurt, those are the people that should, you know, be maybe wait for another day they until you get not, your mind or, right. Or very simply, they should not be allowed to come in, right? We believe that we should welcome everyone who would contribute and keep anyone who wouldn't out, right? That is that is fundamentally the, the POV position that we take. And it goes right to the proper role of government, too. The proper role of government is to, to secure and defend the rights of the individual. And so the proper role then on the border would be to protect the citizens from those who would do them harm. Correct. And so you think about it. I mean, look, for all the, the reasons we've been we've done this on the border for years, the health reasons, right? We don't want folks. Uh, they, there should be some sort of health screening as people come in. There should be background screening as people come in. The truth is we do this all the time, right? I mean, we welcome millions of people as tourists in America on a daily basis all over the country, right? That. If you're worried about open borders, there are literally millions of people coming into our borders every day. And guess what? We love that they're here. We love that they're coming here to visit the country, to contribute to our economy. Somehow we get so concerned when someone says, hey, I want to stay longer than X period of time. We should be welcoming those individuals who are willing to come and put their contributions to use here in the country. Now, they're, again, going back, there's a strategic way to get that done. And there still needs to be borders. There still needs to, there needs to be the ability to protect those borders. And there should be processes through which people who want to come for longer periods of time go through in order for it to actually happen. The problem is those processes cannot, in effect, actually be a barrier that prevents them from doing so, which is the problems we see with the system today, which are there, you know, air quotes as a process, but are really serving as barriers to prevent people from coming when they should be allowed to come in. You hear people say, uh, well, they should just come in the correct way. They should get in line just like everyone else. And when you start looking at things, you realize, well, the, the line might not exist. There might not even be a line there for, to get into. And the line that is there, the, the, the system is so ridiculously convoluted. It takes so long to get through there. We've almost incentivized illegal, illegal, wow, that was hard to say, illegal immigration. Uh, we've incentivized it by making such a complicated system of Im legal immigration. And that's really what we're talking about, a secure border and a streamlined system of immigration. Yeah, I mean, look, there is a system in place today. And so when I hear folks or talk to folks who say, well, why, they, why can't they just come in the legal way? Why don't they just get in line? If you don't truly understand the way the system works, I can see why that's a natural answer, right? I can see why you would want to instinctively say, just do it this way, because otherwise you must have something to hide. But the truth is that the current system is actually not one that is solving for this problem or actually efficient. And so when you tell someone to wait in line, the average wait time right off the bat, six years. And then if you are from a particular country, that can go up to suddenly 12, 15, up to 30 plus years. That is no longer a line. I'm, I would not get in a line that takes 35 years, right? So at that point, and if we're thinking about it correctly, the other alternatives suddenly look much more enticing. And so to your point that the system incentivizes other ways of coming into the country, some people say, well, why, how would it do that? It doesn't do that. 
When someone tells you you have to wait 35 years for something, all of the all of the other alternatives suddenly look great. Especially when you know that there's economic opportunity on the other side and the ability to to raise your family safely. And so what we have to understand is that system by making people wait that long, by making it, and in some cases, they don't even have an option, right? I mean, if you look at our legal uh, pathways for permanent residency in this country, it starts off with, do you have someone who is a family member in the country or do you have a high skill? If you have neither of those things, you are extremely out of luck. There is no line for you to come into the country, right? And if we, we have to understand that part because otherwise the whole basis of saying get in line, do it the right way shifts because if it was easy, I would agree and say, yeah, why aren't they coming in the right way? They must have something to hide. But if, the, if in effect the current process is impractical and requires decades of wait, then I can no longer judge them for say, by saying they must have something to hide. No, they just actually want to get something done. Mm. And that's the part that I think of the conversation that most people aren't really digging into. And I can't blame them. If you were born in America, if you're a citizen, you have never come in through the immigration system. You don't, you've never had to interact with it. I mean, go try to explain to someone who's never worked a job what the tax code is, right? It wasn't until you got that first paycheck that you said, wait a minute, what am I dealing with? So most Americans have never had to go through that process. So I don't blame them for not understanding it. It's been a failure of our government to actually make a system that works. And they've done it in a way where most Americans don't know it doesn't work. But instinctively, we know that government does not have a really good batting average. They tend to mess things up. And immigration is a great example of where they do that. We spoke earlier about the, the proper role of government being to secure and defend the rights of the individual. And, and in that role, having a secure border. Uh, is part of that. One thing that, that I found successful, and I was talking with uh, some activists one night when I was, I was training, we started discussing about the fact that, you know, there are a lot of people that are crossing the border illegally. And I said, well, let's, let's look at it like this. If we had a system where those folks who wanted to come here and create value could easily come here and create value, if we had a system where it wasn't difficult for them, it didn't take years for them, why would they try and sneak across the border? Why would they wouldn't have to? Because if they wanted to come here legally, it would be easy for them to get here and create the value they wanted to create. So if we had that system in place, who would be sneaking across the border? The only people who would be sneaking across the border are? The ones who want to do us harm. And if there's fewer people crossing the border and the people who are sneaking across the border we already know are coming to do harm, doesn't that make it easier then? To secure the border if there's fewer things? I mean, ask, ask the people who monitor our borders. Right. They will tell you. They'd much rather be focused on the people that are coming in to do, us, to do harm versus trying to process people that they know are not here for harm's sake. And the, because they know the more time they give to those people, the less time they can focus on people doing harm, wishing to do harm. The people who benefit right now from the status quo are evildoers. Because they know that they can manipulate the system so that we flood different areas of our system with good people so that bad people can sneak in with them. And so if we don't, as a system, provide a better alternative so that the good people find another way in, the evildoers are going to continue to manipulate that system, right? The, I, when I speak to people who have made the trek or have considered the trek, 
it is not an easy decision. I mean, you think of the factors that go in. These are very impoverished people who suddenly have to come up with thousands of dollars to give a coyote who they don't trust. There's no, there's no contract law and enforcement of contracts when you give your money to coyotes, right? Like that is, that's not how this works. So there's just so many risks and, and forget about the risks that come associated when you're sending your children, right? They, people don't want to do this. The, the calculus is a very difficult one. And if you suddenly showed them that there was an opportunity for them to come legally, and again, this is assuming those who may have the benefit of time. There are many who don't, right? Many find themselves in very dire situations and have to act very quick, very quickly. But for those who have the benefit of time, if you gave them a process, again, one that is realistic, not a 35-year process, but you gave them a process, they would rather go through that journey. They don't want to come in illegally. None of us, just to clarify, nobody wants illegal immigration. Nobody. Nobody in the U.S., none of us that are fighting for immigration reform, and none of the immigrants that are crossing over. They don't want to be illegal. They'd rather have a legal pathway so they can come and contribute and feel safety within the United States. That's what they want to do. And so how do we get a system that allows for that to happen, to have an orderly process that allows folks to come in legally so that they are processed correctly. They do have the health screens. They do have the background checks. They are here and they're able to then contribute to find jobs and make a one, you know, a, a real contribution, not one that's suppressed somehow because they have to continue to live in the shadows, but make a full-on contribution with the ability to fully integrate into society. That is what people want. And I think somehow we always keep coming back to this idea of, well, are you for legal or illegal? And I'm always surprised. I'm like, who have you met that is for <laughs> illegal immigration? Coyotes, maybe. That's about it. I don't understand like who you, would say that they want illegal. All of us want legal immigration. Like you said earlier, the people who would want that are the people who intend to, intend to do us harm. When you, when you look at our, our network vision, let's, let's, we've, we've talked about what it is that we, we are standing for, standing for strong, secure borders, and a streamlined pathway to get people into the country who want to create value. Our, our network vision, our network breaks barriers that stand in the way of people realizing their potential. When it comes to this issue, immigration reform, how, how do we talk about that through the lens of breaking barriers? Because it would seem like the border is a pretty big barrier. Yeah, I mean, it, and it should not, but it should not be seen as a barrier, right? The in, in the sense of human flourishing, it should be seen as a barrier for protection and safety, right? And preventing folks from coming. And we should have our ports of entry should be robust and people should want to come in through a port of entry rather than in between the ports. And whatever security we need in between those ports, we should be considering them, right? Um, none of us have said that we would ever be against actual physical barriers, now, I just don't believe that it makes a lot of efficient sense to create a brick wall from sea to sea, right? Uh, and this is something that even the president has has talked about. He knows that when he says the wall, he has said, I don't mean that I have to go build walls on cliffs when the cliffs themselves are serving as barriers. It's, that's just not efficient. So let's have the conversation about where do we need those physical barriers? Where do we need more personnel? Where do we need drones and cameras and new technologies that can help us monitor but at the same time, you have got to have the conversation about what do our ports of entry look like? How are they robust and ready to welcome people to come in through goods and people, right? Because that's where our trade is coming in as well. And right now there are lines and lines. That's not efficiency. That doesn't work. 
But going back to your question about, so how do you reconcile the fact that we are talking about a robust border, but at the same time reducing barriers? If that border has the ability to welcome people in to contribute, that is the barrier we're right now making sure that we don't create. There has to be a barrier for protection for safety reasons. But the barriers that would prevent good people from coming in, that is where we need to find a way to reduce those. And once people are in, what are the barriers that they will encounter in the United States that we can also start to, to put down? And the best part about that is it's very similar to the same barriers that are holding our fellow citizens back. Right now we start the conversation about occupational licensing, welfare, which tends to love people love when welfare comes up on, on the issue of immigration. And I respond similar to my answer on illegal immigration. Who wants illegal immigration? Nobody. Who wants a bunch of immigrants dependent on welfare? Nobody. If I don't want well, if I don't believe welfare is good for citizens of the United States, why would I think it's good for immigrants? That's not who we're looking for. Now, we have to recognize that there are there are things that can help individuals succeed and self-actualize. Right. And that's where we want to make sure that we are that we are there and that folks have the, the right mindset and and the ability to actually contribute. And that's when you see folks like our teams at the Libre Institute that provide ESL classes, not because we want to mandate or force people to speak English, but because we know that speaking English empowers them to greater economic prosperity in this country, opens the doors to so many more jobs. Right. That is what that's the barrier that Libre is trying to address there. It's not some sort of mandated assimilation. It's it's actually increasing your opportunities for prosperity. Um, the same with with fiscal uh, financial literacy courses or driver's license courses um, or when we have discussions about what it means to own a home. And these are things that it's not just related to Libre. This is going across all of our, our different teams there of AFP. When we have conversations about econ uh, educational freedom, right, that applies to the immigrant families who are trying to find the right path forward for their children, as well as the citizens, right? These in once the people are in the country, the barriers they're facing are very similar to the ones that AFP fights day in day out um, for all the people across the country. I, I have continually heard uh, someone will say, "I'll, I'll talk, be talking about this," and they'll look at me and say, "Look, Dwayne, you can't have you can't have open borders and a welfare state." And I just look at him and say, yeah, I'm not for either one of those. So that's that's just a, a red herring a straw man. Well, you know, that's not what we're saying. Well, I, 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 go ahead. I would just say to clarify there, I think most people have this misconception that immigrants suddenly come in and get free welfare. Yeah, that's what the they're current, just here for the benefits. The current law says that there is no accessibility to any federally means welfare program for any immigrant that has not been in a legal permanent status for at least five years. So any immigrant that's on a non-immigrant or temporary visa, any undocumented immigrant, there is no federally means-tested welfare program that they participate from, right? And I think that's extremely important to clarify because people think that there's all of these programs that they automatically receive, even if they're undocumented. That is simply not the case. Right now, current law prevents them from having any access to those programs. When I think about the barriers also, I mean, there's a second part of that of our vision. This moves our society towards one of mutual benefit, where people succeed by helping others improve their lives. And so when I think about the barrier, yes, there is a barrier, a physical barrier or and a, you know, a bureaucracy that we've already talked about that will keep people who are not coming here for mutual, mutually beneficial reasons, who are not coming here to help others improve their lives. That barrier exists to keep the, you know, those, those folks out while allowing those who want to create mutual benefit, who want to improve their lives and our lives to allow them in. But there's another aspect of, of the breaking barriers 
that is important to talk about when you're talking about immigration. There's, there's the aspect of the barriers of those who are immigrating, but there's also the barriers to those in the country right now who depend on those coming into the country. And I think about, I think about the, uh, the minister at one of the church I used to go to in, in Aurora. I, I visit the church every now and then. Last time I was there, uh, the minister said, Dwayne, can I talk to you after, after this? And of course, uh, being the sinner I am, I figured I was in trouble. Um, I thought, well, I've been I expected to get excommunicated, just not today. <laughs> but uh, he's, I said, uh, I said, you know, how can I serve you? And he said, um, I'm having trouble with immigration, and I need to know how to get involved. And he runs a, a landscaping company in in Aurora. And he said, the folks that have been coming up every year to help out, I can't get the visas for them now. The visas aren't there. And these are folks that have worked with me for 10, 20 years, and they come up every year to help, and now I can't get them here. And he looked at me and he said, I just had to turn down a million-dollar contract because I don't have the people to do it. And those are barriers that are keeping him from reaching his best life. Those are barriers that are, are keeping him from succeeding. And it goes to, uh, again, what's unseen. Those, those people are being hurt, too. Well, and the layers and layers that we can go deeper in on this, right? So if you think about the idea that immigrants are par- are partners, that they come in and create value that improve the lives of others while they improve their own lives, you start to think about, well, how else does that happen? You mentioned, you know, for the lives of people who depend on immigrants. I think it's obvious for the people who depend on immigrants, but what about those people who depend on immigrants, but they don't even know it, right? How many dreamers are currently serving as teachers, as firefighters. They're helping people that have no idea that those individuals are dreamers, right? They have no idea that their children are being taught by, by an immigrant or that the fire down the block was put out by an immigrant, but they are dependent on those immigrants, right? And at the same time, then you, you think even further, the, when we talk about labor markets, immigrants come in and fill gaps within the labor markets. They, it, it's, statistically proven. They're not coming in and duplicating the the gaps. They are actually filling in those gaps, which what does that do? That allows uh, other individuals to find their proper place in the labor market and not be underselling their own contributions or overselling, etc. Like they'll find exactly where they are supposed to be to maximize their contributions and their comparative advantages. That doesn't happen if you don't have immigrants filling in those gaps because then someone will have to and it tends to be someone who should have been applying skills somewhere else. So people in America already will benefit the more immigrants come fill those gaps and then not just fill those gaps so that you can move into different, more appropriate roles, but then the benefits that come by having people actually fill those gaps. You mentioned the, the gentleman who talked to you about that million dollar contract. Yeah, that's specific to his business. But what about when you're talking about all of the other folks who would want to contract with that business, right? Now we start talking about things about the best use of your time um, and comparative advantage, because what would they be doing if they can't contract with that individual to get those services done? Maybe they have to do it themselves. And again, their time should have been used. Maybe they should have been spending time with their family. Maybe they should have been writing the book they never said, right? There's just, you'd look at all of the different layers that come that most people don't realize are an opportunity when we open ourselves and are more welcoming to immigrants coming into the country. I'm glad you brought up, brought up gaps because, you know, when he was talking to me about this, I, I looked at him and I said, well, why don't you just hire some folks from Aurora? Why don't you just, and he looked at me and he said, I've tried. 
I've tried. I put I put ads in the paper offering $25 an hour to come and do landscaping. And the only applications I got were people who needed to apply to jobs to keep their benefits. He's, I, I've tried. And again, barriers that are put up. And you, you I like I like going into the, the layers, um, not because I'm a Shrek fan, but <laughs> but because I, I like I like delving into the, the unseen. And you start seeing it reminds me of iPencil. So we don't have this job. We don't have these immigrants who are coming here. We don't have that money being created. We don't have that money being spent. There are jobs that are not created because this business now doesn't have that revenue and, or this person doesn't get that raise. And it just keeps going and keeps going. And we don't know what value was lost due to the fact that we, we refuse to deal with this issue that is so obvious. So obvious. Let's, uh, let's talk about equal rights. Start digging into these... Um, mutually re- reinforcing principles. How do we look at at immigration and the reforms we're looking for through the lens of equal rights? We want to make sure we have a system that, again, if we really want it to be that efficient, simple process system, it should look for certain criterias in anyone. If you want to look at examples of cronyism and special interests, Take a look at the chapters on immigration, right? Because there, every ind- industry has a different chapter. There's industries who love that they don't have a chapter, and so they're benefiting from the black market. I mean, this is reaped of folks coming in and taking little pieces. When we think about e- equal rights, inherently, we're going to treat immigrants different from citizens, right? That's why we have an immigration system. We, we, we understand that that's something that's going to happen. Immigrants are not the same as citizens on day one. There's a different process for them. But when we talk about immigrants, there should be an underst- a general understanding that anyone that wants to contribute should have means or accessibility into the program. And so we try to find ways to simplify the laws so that they are not in themselves choosing winners or losers. One good example is the current cap per country cap, right? At some point, the government thought it was a good idea that we put percentage caps on every country so that not one country was more represented than the other. I mean, how does that make any sense? What if one country is larger? What if one country has more contributors, right? How do we make sure that we have a, a ability to do that? And you're seeing that frustration now, which is why, for example, when you have some talent that may be coming in from a country like India, where you have a lot of talent, a lot of folks, but they are in put into multiple decades long uh, backlogs. But that's just to make sure that we can have someone from a much smaller country have accessibility. That makes no sense. Right. We've got to figure out how we allow for all these immigrants to have the opportunity to come in. And then the system itself could be designed to look for certain things if we wanted to emphasize some things over others. We can do that. Uh, but there's ways to make sure that we improve the system so that there are better representations of equal rights, even within the immigration system, and that it isn't creating some sort of false winners and losers that shouldn't exist in the first place. We've talked a little bit about mutual benefit also, but is there anything about that that one that we need to talk about more. I mean, I see, I see the, the Mutual Benefit Act aspect of this position as being, look, there, there are people in this country who have a need. There are people in this country who have a need. Let's bring them together so that they can mutually benefit from, from what each other needs. Mm-hmm. This person needs work done. This person needs a job. Let's bring them together. This person has an idea for a business, and this country has a need for innovation and ideas and a, and a higher standard of living. Let's bring them together. It seems... 
I don't know, maybe maybe people don't think about mutual benefit and immigration that way. But when I think about mutual benefit and immigration, that's what I go to. We can benefit by bringing the best people here and creating a better world for everyone. Maybe it's Pollyannish, yeah. but that's how I see I it. I mean, how much time you got? Yeah. Because to me, as we've developed a strategy for our, our efforts across immigration, it is plainly obvious that the success of those strategies are anchored on the concept of mutual benefit. People immediately think and take this conversation to the idea of openness. And if we figured out openness, then we would be okay. But the truth is that the whole premise of immigration is rooted on mutual benefit. And the moment we were able to crack that, shift the debate on that, that's when all of this will be solved to the points you raised. It is when people see immigrants as partners, those who will not only improve their lives, but contribute to one's own life. Do you actually start to open up the conversations, the opportunities, the fallacies of the system? All of that opens up when you understand that you are actually withholding something of benefit from yourself when we restrict immigrants from coming in. That is that part is critical and it is key to the underpinnings of everything we're doing on immigration is to help folks understand the mutual benefit part. Now, if order to get there, I have to take people through the openness part and equal rights part. I mean, we can have that debate as well. But if we never get to the mutual benefit component, all of this is for naught because that is the part that is so critical on this debate. I, I, while we're talking, I keep thinking back to uh, national security at the same time. And, and again, that's the proper role of government, secure and defend the rights of the individual. And we need to have a system that, that does that. If we, if we have a system that where we're allowing those who are national security threats to come in, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a failure. But my mind also goes um, to, to Thomas Sowell. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And I can't imagine that we would ever come up with an immigration system that would be flawless, where, where people would not get through who shouldn't occasionally, or even when people couldn't sneak into the country to do harm. And I think sometimes this idea that we have to, we have, to have a system that is perfect, that keeps all the bad people out, I think that, that we sacrifice good because of our desire for the perfect. Right. And that that's unfortunate because it doesn't allow for that mutual benefit that could be there out of out of um, you know, a fear of something bad happening because of Correct. And I, I think that's the point that we, we try to stress with folks. But if you of course the pro, the system will never be perfect, right? Because every every interaction is just one moment in time. What I mean, good people can come in and at the moment that we allow them in are very good people that somehow could become bad people once they're in, right? And, and what do we do about that? That's going to happen. And that's why sometimes folks, uh, you know, this is why we're against the idea of abolishing something like ICE or the idea that no one will ever get deported. Deportation should be a consequence. We should be able to use that sparingly and make sure that we know when and how to use it. The idea that somehow deportation is the solution to every immigration infraction is where I think there's a problem. But of course, we should still have the, the ability to deport people so that if someone becomes a bad actor, if we discover someone's a bad actor, we have something in place that can, can solve, hopefully remedy that situation. Um, and the same with the, with the border. How do we design a system even though it cannot be 100% guaranteed, but would set us up in the best possible scenarios 
so that we can take on that that issue or that or that situation. And from us, for us, from what we heard from people, especially people who are working on the border, the more you can reduce the amount of people that have to come in in between ports, meaning if we give good people options to come in through the ports, you reduce the population in between the, the entries in between ports and it allows those enforcing the law greater focus, greater attention, and they're not getting distracted by things that they should not be distracted by. And that is, is a huge part of the work that we're doing both to understand the role of government in all of this. But I do think at some point we have to come understand the idea that Im the idea of immigration is not a defense mechanism. We need to have the, go the government overall should have border security and should figure out ways to keep us safe. But it's not just through the immigration system. The immigration system should actually be the, uh, the way that we welcome people. Let's put it in a business context. Do we depend on HR to secure our office buildings? No. no. HR is in charge of finding the best talent and bringing them in. Now, when you come in, they coordinate with our security guys and girls and make sure that, okay, who's coming in, when, how do, can we get their name, make sure that they, they get the right badge. And if we hire them, they go through the screening and they get their right passes to whatever floor and offices they're going to be in. But HR is not in charge of security. HR is in charge of finding the best and bringing them in. That's what our immigration system should do. And it should be able to coordinate with our security offices, with the different agencies. And sure, maybe some of them will be part of you know, DHS or however the, the government wants to organize itself. But I think conceptually, it's really important for people to understand the two important roles at that place. Because you would imagine, I mean, if we think it's hard to find uh, new colleagues to join our community just by the, the way that we're doing it now. Imagine if what HR was responsible for was security. When would we <laughs> interview people? How, how often would that happen? Right? No, HR has a responsibility to go find the best and coordinate with security to make sure that we're not opening ourselves to any risk or threat. We should think of immigration the same way. I'm just imagining Steve Smith with a AR <laughs> controlling the perimeter of, of uh, the building. You brought up openness. And when I, I'll, I'll be honest, when I first read openness, um, I thought, well, that's going to cause problems, especially on immigration, because it reads, equal rights and mutual benefit foster openness by allowing the free movement of ideas, resources, and people that generate knowledge, innovation, and opportunity fueling progress throughout society. I read that, the free movement of people, and I thought, everyone's going to think that's open borders. That's the first thing I thought. How are we going to say that's not open borders? So immigration and openness, we've talked about how, how everyone goes to that. What do you say? To me, that means that we have to be open to the idea that people can come here to contribute. It doesn't mean that strategically all we do is eliminate borders and allow it to come freely. I mean, if you... Any of those, right, whether it's ideas or resources or people can have some strategic implications to how exactly that movement happens. And we are OK with that. But it should not be interpreted as meaning the literal sense that people should just be free to move in here regardless of who or how and that there couldn't be systems in place. So I take it back to the example we we're just talking about. We want to bring this, the right people in it. Our, our HR department will bring the right people in, but it can't be at a risk to our safety, right? And so they coordinate with security. Same with immigration. The concept is we want to bring people who, who are going to contribute and are motivated to contribute in this country, 
But that has to be done in coordination so that we are still protecting the safety of, of those here in the country already. And so I, 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 would, I would tell people to be cautious about the literal interpretation and think more about the concept. We have got to be open to the concept that people, even born outside of the United States, has, have something to contribute. And we have to find ways to let them in and contribute without consequently impacting, negatively impacting our safety. You can keep going on this. That's what, that's what I've always said, too. I said, well, keep reading. You know, if you say foster your openness by allowing the free movement of people, keep reading. Even if you want to take it in the most literal sense, the free movement of people, what, which people? The people that generate knowledge, innovation, and opportunity, and fuel progress throughout society. What we've already said, the free movement of people who want to come to the country and create value for themselves, for others, and to improve society as a whole. We should be open to the free movement of those people into this country to create wealth for all of us. We should absolutely be open to that. Why wouldn't we be open to having people come who can make our lives richer? Right. It's, it's absurd to be closed off to that. And I think what, what you'll hear in response to that is like, fine, well, but how do we do that? How do we find those people? And all of us know there is no perfect system to finding those people um, because that's, I mean, that, that takes... You're going to have to understand certain things. You're going to have to know the way people act. I mean, that, there's a lot that goes into that. But the best we can do is making sure that we set up the systems in an efficient way that help us really distinguish between those who aren't those, the people who fall into that category and people that are. And that's why we keep coming back to this notion of legal immigration. If you broaden the scope of legal immigration... You have the ability for folks who are genuinely folks in this category, this category that you just mentioned, that can go through our system, health checks, background checks, and come out on the other side. If you restrict how many people can actually go there, that's when you find yourself in this situation with thousands, if not millions, uh, trying to find alternative ways in. And that then clouds the, uh, the ability of those who are trying to make us safe from actually focusing on that work because they're spending time interviewing people that otherwise could have come in through a process because they have nothing to hide. And then the people that means less attention on the folks who are actually hiding something, who, who actually want to do us harm. You move and really separate those two groups. Now you have the ability for those who are looking for the, the wrongdoers to really have the ability to focus on them as opposed to spending their time just interviewing very genuinely good-hearted people who are here to contribute and taking their and distracting their attention. I think this is also a great place to, to really think about what would happen with the other key institutions in society. It's not just government working here, but there's business involved, there's community involved, there's education involved. A lot of immigrants who come to the country are coming for educational reasons. But I think about what would happen, and again, my mind goes back to what if government didn't do that? What if government wasn't the one doing the background check? What if, they're, what if it's a business, and the business wants people to come here? They've gone out and they've recruited in India, for example, where it could take, I, I remember one article I read where it could take over 100 years through the immigration system legally to come to this country. If a business goes to India, they, they recruit, they find the people they want, the business could hire and get the background checks done. They could, they could do everything to say to the government, these people, we want them here. We've done our due diligence. They're safe. They're coming to create benefits. And then that business is maybe on the hook. I'm not saying this is the solution, but I'm saying there are solutions out there that don't look like what we're used to and may be outside the mental models that most are used to. 
But there are other key institutions in society that can contribute to the solution of this that's, that simply aren't being used. Well, you, you see it now, right? So under the current system, educational institutions, largely uh, colleges, are able to go and recruit foreign students. And the system has said, we trust the vetting process of what you're doing, right? Because you obviously aren't going to try to bring in anyone to do harm on your own campus or create disruptions there, negative disruptions. We would love positive disruptions. Um, but cause harm on those so that they've been trusted and there's, there's much less restrictions on the amount of foreign students that are coming in, at least to study college, because there's plenty of restrictions once they graduate and we could actually benefit from their implementation. Right. Once, we, of, once we've educated them and there. made yeah, them better a, people, get them out of the country as quickly as possible. That's a that whole makes other sense. conversation. But the truth is, to your point about systems, I mean, there's this whole conversation happening about merit-based systems right now. Um, which we welcome. Let's have a conversation about whether or not our current system is calibrated correctly. But let's not lose sight that so far, one of the best indicators of merit is the fact that there is a company saying, I will pay this individual for their contributions and I want them to be here. Right. I mean, what what further attestation do you want of merit than someone willing to pay for that contribution and that talent? Now, what happens is that the rest of our system then continues to pollute and can create even more negative incentives, right? So the fact that I can go recruit, but then someone would be beholden to me, allows me as an employer the opportunity to manipulate wages, to manipulate uh, work conditions versus saying, okay, if I trust Dwayne, Dwayne is foreign to the country, I'm bringing him in, but Dwayne is empowered, has license and agency to older, uh, to also demand his wage and can look for other work. That creates a kind of relationship that also then holds the employer accountable. But right now, the way the system is designed, it's almost like, well, we trust the employer to make one offer to Dwayne, and then Dwayne needs to just stick with that employer. That starts to tilt things in a negative way because the employer can now manipulate that process because we've taken some authority and agency away from Dwayne. If we can fix that, you actually can find a way to continue to bring folks in because they've earned the merit, because someone wants to offer them a job and avoid some of these other traps that we see people largely criticize the employment visa program for. Oh, cheap labor, manipulation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Exploitation. Yeah. One last one, self-actualization for such a society, society to exist, um, key institutions, education, community, business, and government, remove rather than erect barriers to people realizing their potential and finding fulfillment as more people have the opportunity to use their unique talents to succeed by helping others improve their lives, society flourishes. How do we apply this to immigration? It's also, to me, I think it's one of my favorite ones because it's almost like the sleeper principle that no one really thinks about in immigration, but it's so critical. And it's nice that I asked that question that I, I don't get the deer in the headlights look of, I've never thought of this before. <laughs> oh, no, we've, th- we've done a lot of thinking <laughs> about this. And there's actually research about it as well. Uh, the idea, people would love to read this and immediately think that it's about the self-actualization of the immigrant and solely the self-actualization of the immigrant because it's they are now having the opportunity to find their 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 talents and skills and perfect them and then apply them what they fail to think about is the self-actualization that happens on the side of those already in the country right so we go back to that earlier conversation about labor markets if i'm in the wrong job and i'm not fully utilizing my capabilities but there is no one to either replace me or catalyze be a catalyst for me to think of other parts of the labor market i stay stuck in areas where i shouldn't 
Now you have, you introduce immigrant labor into the market. They are best equipped to handle certain gaps. It helps push, and we've seen this in the data, push other citizens into areas where their capabilities and their talents are best utilized, right? That's that's the benefit of not just having the immigrant fill the gap, but that by filling the gap, we help better uh, distinguish where folks should be across the entire labor market. That individual, that citizen who is doing a job that probably they were overqualified for and should be really pushing themselves somewhere else is also self-actualizing, is also learning in this entire process. Um, and then that's just, that's the immediate, right? That's the person who suddenly moved jobs. But if we were to bring uh, immigrant contributions into the country and they are doing it to their capabilities, you then have the self-actualization of other folks, not even in the same line of, of, of work or labor, right? Think about the ability to, to cook with someone or to have someone provide services to you so that you can then spend more of your time doing other things that are more valuable to you. This happens when we have a robust economy, when you have the type of contributions coming from all, all walks of life. The way, where do you go eat and celebrate with your family? Where do you go, um, what kind of, of, of services do you want brought into your house? Right? You think about, you mentioned your, your friend who has, the, was it a lawn service? Mm -hmm. right? That's one type of labor. But the self-actualization that can come to an individual who had to rush to the emergency room and was served by the immigrant doctor who was really the specialist in that area or the nurse that ends up being the end-of-life caretaker for our parents or others, right? That all allows for the self-actualization to occur not just in the lives of the immigrant but in the lives of all of those impacted by the contributions that they provide. And so that's, an, I mean, to me, that self-actualization and mutual benefit component for the issue of immigration are so critical and are often ignored because everyone jumps right into the openness discussion. But it is about this idea of the contributions that are shared, mutually shared with immigrants and citizens and the ability of those contributions to better propel and excel the fact that others can be self-actualizing through that process that are at the core of what we're doing on immigration. Because that, to me, is the urgency around it all. Because if we miss it, what are we losing out on? Me, as a citizen of the United States, what am I losing out on when this, this system that we have prevents that innovation, one, from either occurring here or two, from occurring at all, right? And that is, that is scary to me to think through those opportunities that just aren't being realized because our immigration system is the barrier holding all of that progress back. And that's why we act with so much urgency here. There's, a, there's definitely a humanitarian side aspect of it and when we think about immigrants. But there's also, a, and I'm just going to say, a very self-interested component that we have to understand. Because if people in America don't understand it, then they're much more likely to buy into the divisive rhetoric when they think that the only consequence is bared by the immigrant. And that is simply not true. We all carry those consequences and, and that burden when we have a failing immigration system. Thank you for listening to this installment of Top Priority, a production of the Americans for Prosperity Foundation's Grassroots Leadership Academy. If you have any questions regarding today's top priority, please email them to me at toppriority at afphq.org. We'd love to answer them in an episode of Frequently Asked, a short podcast where we answer the most frequently asked questions regarding our priority initiatives. And if there's an aspect of today's priority that you want us to discuss further, let us know that too. Until next time, I'm Dwayne Lester, and thanks again for listening.